this morning, I mentioned it's sort of a part two. We're, we're done uh, experiencing God. And last week, we, we finished up the series um, in, in sort of a, a different kind of, of way uh, in the sense that instead of finishing up by studying a particularly successful servant of God who was, uh, you know, rejoicing in their God-sized victory and, uh, you know, just celebrating how amazing God was in their life and what God had done in this amazing way, last week we actually wrapped up by considering the prophet Elijah at the lowest point of his ministry life. He's defeated, he's depressed, he's despairing even of his own life. He wants God to take his life. And the reason that we did that was to see how our God, our Father, engages with us. In other words, how we experience God even when we are in the valley of our spiritual walk, of our faith walk. Not even just in the valley, but we're at you know, the bottom of a well in the valley of our spiritual walk where Elijah was. And, and we can get like that. But God comes to us, we saw last week, even when our God-sized goal for the day is just getting out of bed or making lunch for the kids pretty much is the epitome of our accomplishment. God comes to us even when we are there in our life, and he comes to us quietly with a gentle touch, with nourishment to listen to our heart's concerns, and then speaking in a still small voice to show us the way back to strength. And we often, like Elijah, we lack peace, we lack purpose, and we lack power. And so as we look at our text today, I just want to linger a little longer on this truth, that it is not us but it is God himself, the God of peace and purpose and power that is perfecting and keeping us to the end. And our text today is just two verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, and you can turn there in your Bible or tap there on your phone. Just these two verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, the benediction of Paul to the church at Thessaloniki. And he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It is God who is at work in us. Now, Elijah's focus was on the work that he felt he was supposed to be doing for God. He he thought he had a ministry, that he was accomplishing something for God, and the, the ministry seemed victorious, it seemed successful, and then it never turned out the way that he hoped. Israel did not turn back to God at that time. Uh, you know, there were nobody overthrowing Jezebel. Uh, didn't seem to achieve what he thought God was going to achieve. He didn't think he did what he thought God needed him to do. And when we look at our own lives, we can get into the same situation. Just in our own spiritual journey, we start to doubt our performance. Right As Christians, we start to wonder whether we actually measure up to God, whether we can ever measure up and we can begin to despair. And some people even say, and there's a, there's a certain rule of thought or there's a certain uh, danger some people point to that, that as preachers we should be careful that we don't preach too much holiness you know, because, or preach too much obedience because it'll just discourage people. If, if I stand up here and I keep calling people to be holy and to be pure and to be obedient and to you know, follow God and, and to obey Him and work for Him in His kingdom, then they'll just get discouraged. But when you read the New Testament, the Apostle Paul never shied away from preaching holiness and obedience. The Apostle Paul is continually encouraging and exhorting the church to obedience and to holiness and to proper living and to good works and to joy and, and to victory. But he always provided the context and the hope in which that obedience and holiness and joy and victory can be found. And today we're looking at just those two verses, that context that Paul continually puts our obedience in. 
that it is not us who is at work, in fact, but it is Christ at work in us. It is the God of peace himself. So let me just pray, and we'll read those verses again, and I'll unpack for you, I hope, well, three encouragements. There's more than three, but just three in the time that we have before we get to communion. Let's pray. Father God, we just, uh, we just come to you humbly and broken and sincerely aware that we are a sinful people. Our hearts wander. Uh, the flesh, old flesh, rears itself up. And Lord, that uh, without you, we would not be able to accomplish anything. And so this morning, as we look at these, just this final benediction of Paul to Thessalonians, that you would show us the hope that he has and that he encourages them with, that you are the God that is at work and that you give us purpose and power to accomplish more than we can imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the text again, I'll just read it. It's so short. First Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Paul is just wrapping up his, his letter to the church. And he says, as a way of benediction, as a way of blessing, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And the first encouragement here is just to see that there's three P's. You know, I'm a good pastor, so you alliterate, you know. Peace, purpose, and power is what we're looking at. And you could look at person, and we could, we could look at a whole bunch of different P's in here, actually, but I'm just going to do those three. But Paul calls God the God of peace himself. And that's important because I think, again, even as we think of ourselves sitting here today, we could all use a little more peace in our lives. It's no accident that this is the description that Paul uses of God. Paul finishes off his letter to the Romans with a similar blessing. He says, may the God of peace be with you all, 1533 in Romans. He closes off 1 Corinthians the same way. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. That's important. Remember that. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. He says in 1433. And then in 2 Corinthians, he finishes it off the same way. The God of love and peace be with you in Chapter 13, 11. And then Philippians, same thing. Paul says, the God of peace be with you in 4 and 9. And then some people think Paul may have written the book of Hebrews as well. I don't know that he did. But if he did, the author of Hebrews actually closes it off the same way. This would be a good argument that perhaps it's Paul. Because in Hebrews 13, 20, he says, may the God of peace, the God of peace, the God of peace, the God of peace. Paul is continually in his letters reminding people that God is a God of peace. And that's no accident. Because when God is at work, and we have to remember this, when God is at work in us, he is working as a God of peace. God is not working in us to cause anxiety. And so as you are walking in your walk with God, as you are walking in your work in the kingdom, if it is causing you anxiety, if it is causing you stress, if it is working you up, if it is causing you confusion, then that is not God at work in you. That is something else going on in your flesh. That is something taking place from our enemy in the spiritual realm. That is something going on in, in the world around you, in the curse that is on this world. Anxiety and confusion and stress are not from God because Paul says clearly it is the God of peace himself who is sanctifying us. And so when you just consider the things that you are called to do or the walk that you are on, we are not called to fear or anxiety. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. In Philippians 4.6, we're told, be anxious in nothing. And so the first encouragement from this simple benediction is simply 
to be at peace, that if, if you are walking with God, God who is sanctifying, God who is working in you is a God of peace and bringing you peace. And peace here, this word peace, and, and everywhere else it's used in Scripture, doesn't just mean you're not in direct conflict with someone. Right? You can't, you can't say, well, you know, I'm not arguing with anybody, I'm not in a fight with anybody, so therefore I'm at peace. But if there's anxiety and fear with you, that's not the peace that he's talking about here. The Greek word here for peace is irene, and uh, irene is actually the Greek word where we get the lovely woman's name, Irene. That's my mom's name, so it's a beautiful name. And, uh, but Irene, or Irene, is peace. It's the Greek word for peace, and it's the word that they translate in the New Testament from shalom. And you've heard shalom, I know, of course. Right? Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, and shalom in the Old Testament signifies the harmony that God is seeking to restore. Shalom is the state of the world and all relationships redeemed between God and his creation and between us in his creation with each other. When we reach shalom, we have reached the ultimate redemptive peace, and that is the peace that God wishes on us. And so Paul here is simply reminding us the God that is at work in us is the God of this peace. He is the God of shalom. He is the God who is trying to reconcile everything to himself. And again, we just come, think back to Elijah. He had no peace in his ministry or in his walk with God, in his relationship with God. He was frantic. He was in despair. And we can get like that. We're working so hard for God or we are working so hard to think to please God that we actually don't have any peace. And Paul says... It's the God of peace that is working you. If you're not feeling peace, you need to slow down and step back and breathe and pray and ask God, what is it that you would have of me? Because you're not calling me to fear. You're not calling me to anxiety. That's not God. What is it that you would have me do? How can I rest in you and do your work in my life? I don't want to be out of step with the God of peace. God is concerned, it says here, for our whole spirit, our soul, and our body to find its peace in him and what he is working in us. The second encouragement here is that there is a God of purpose at work in use. The God of peace is working purposefully. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. As God is working in you, he's working to accomplish something, sanctification. Now that's a really fancy kind of Christian word. It's a biblical word, sanctification or sanctify. And what it means is it just means we have that word because there's a whole bunch packed into it because it means all these things. It means to be made holy. It means to restore. It means to redeem. It means to reconcile. All of those things are a part of sanctification. And God is working with a purpose to sanctify us. Now, I don't want to miss this because purpose is important. Purpose is incredibly important in our life. It's interesting. Uh, we just got back from vacation, too, a couple of weeks ago. We were in that same boat as Mark and Barb. And uh, one of the things that you do when you're on vacation is you try to do nothing, right? You're trying to do as little as possible while you're on vacation. You're trying to relax. But then you discover that to do nothing is actually impossible. You can't do nothing, right? Because even when you're trying to do nothing, you're still doing something. You're trying to do nothing, and, uh, you know, so after a couple of days, I started pacing around the room. We'd get up, we'd have our lovely little breakfast on the balcony, we'd have a coffee, and then I'd start pacing, and I would ask, Wendy, what do you want to do today? You know, or what are we going to do today? And that speaks to the idea of purpose, that we are inherently about purpose, and that as soon as you start to talk about what are you going to do, the question that you're asking is, how is my day going to have purpose? What am I going to accomplish? How can we spend this day profitably? And we are people of purpose. 
and we can't do nothing. Even when we go on vacation, we feel guilty about not doing anything, so we say we're going to work on our tan. Because you've got to be working, right? Oh, yeah, I'm going to work on my tan. Tanning is not work, okay? The only thing working when you're tanning is your immune system, waging a hopeless war against the ultraviolet radiation that is trying to cancer you. So you're not working when you're tanning. It's a losing battle. It's making your immune system work and your epidermis work. But no, we're people of purpose, and God is the same way. There is a purpose to our existence. and pur- I don't want us to miss this, because purpose is so important that we are living our lives with purpose, and God is working a purpose in us. If you go right back to Genesis chapter 1, we read, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have stock over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so it's like in the Godhead, among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there was agreement, and in the Godhead, there was a plan for action. They decided, what are we going to do today? And the Godhead said, let us make man in our own image. We're going to create a universe, and we're going to create mankind in our image, and there is a purpose to this creation. When you do something, it has purpose. Now get this, if an intelligent being, if God, if, if I'm not doing something on that day in vacation, if I'm not doing something at my day at work, if the Godhead is not creating us for a purpose, then there is no purpose. If you take that purpose away, it leads to despair. And when you take purpose away, Elijah despaired because he had lost his purpose and he fell into depression. And if we have no purpose, it will ultimately lead to despair. And our culture has been systematically eliminating purpose from the human equation, and it is leading to despair. There's been, just since I went on vacation like three weeks ago, has there been like two or is it three school shootings in the last month? Because our teenagers have completely lost any sense of purpose. Our addiction and treatment centers are filling up with people who have lost all sense of purpose in their life and they're trying to self-medicate their hopelessness away. And it's rampant in our culture today because our schools, we are told that we're just pond scum that grew up by chance, that we're just a cosmic accident of colliding particles. We're the victims of random chance playing out in our lives. And this is why the philosopher and writer Albert Camus posed one of the 20th century's best-known existential questions. He said in the 1950s, there is only one really serious philosophical question left, and that is the question of suicide. Because he understands. If there is no purpose, then it leads to suicide. Elijah wanted to die. Suicide becomes an option when there's no purpose to anything. Albert was short-sighted, though, in the 1950s. What we're discovering now is that school shootings become an option when there is no answer to our purpose. Any sort of random act of violence is possible when there is no answer to our purpose. And so purpose is important. He's a God of peace, but God has a purpose in us. He has a purpose for all creation, and he has a purpose for you within that creation. And God's purpose, if I just sum it all up in 20 seconds, if you look through the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible, starting in Genesis 1, is then the unpacking of that service, and that purpose, and the whole purpose that God is enacting through history and in our lives is the purpose of redemption. God's purpose for all of creation is to redeem it, to restore it, to heal it, to bring it back to the place that he intended it for. And you and I are also individuals bound up in that redemptive purpose of God, and that's what 
sanctification is. He's redeeming us. That's how we're being sanctified. He's taking the old flesh and putting it away. We're dying to the old and being born to the new. He's taking old habits and putting them away and giving us new good purposes. He says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have a purpose. God's given us a purpose, and He's doing it in our lives. God's purpose is for us to succeed in being made more and more in the likeness of Christ, to succeed in doing good works, to succeed in being found blameless. God actually chose us with that purpose of being found holy, says in Ephesians 1.4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In fact, our redemption, this work that God is doing in us, that He wants to do in us to sanctify us, to redeem us, to heal us, to restore us, is so important that in fact creation is waiting for our redemption. Don't get that backwards. People often think God is redeeming creation and God is redeeming the world and He's redeeming the universe and He's bringing everything back and we're just going to get carried along as part of creation in that redemptive process. No, it's actually backwards. Creation is waiting for our redemption so that creation can join us. Don't miss that. In Romans 8.21... Paul explains that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is waiting for our redemption so they can join us in the freedom that God is bringing us into. So God has a purpose that is far greater than we could imagine for ourselves. This God of peace is at work in us to sanctify us, to redeem us, to heal us, to restore us, to set us free, so that eventually, one day, all of this broken creation is going to join in our freedom. That's the purpose God has for you. Don't ever believe that you don't have a purpose. You have a purpose. It's a beautiful purpose. But getting back to our point of just how we as Christians, we're sometimes not at peace, we're sometimes despairing, we're sometimes hopeless, we're sometimes worried and feeling like we're just not measuring up, like our spiritual walk isn't where it should be. The third encouragement here is that it's God's power that is at work in you. Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Notice that. He doesn't say, may God aid you as you sanctify yourself. He doesn't say, Lord, would you help them as they try as best as they can to make themselves holy. You know, get in there and give them a little push. No, no. Paul says here, he says to you, he says to me, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. It's God's redemptive purpose, and so it is God's power that is accomplishing it. The only person who is acting in this sentence is God. God himself is sanctifying you completely. Now that doesn't mean that there's not lots of things for us to do in the Christian life. Of course they are. And the reason that Paul is giving the Thessalonians this encouragement is because if you just back up a few verses, Paul is summarizing some of the commands that we have as Christians. He says, do not pay back wrong with wrong. Always be kind to everyone. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Avoid every kind of evil. There are all kinds of commands that we as Christians are given. And we read those commands and we think, I can never do this. And God says, you're right. You can never do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in you. I am at work in you to accomplish those things. And so Paul gives this encouragement precisely because we can be trapped as my elder Jim prayed this morning, 
We can be trapped in Romans 7 where we realize we cannot be victorious in the flesh. And Paul wants his people to get into Romans 8 where they have victory in the Spirit because it is God Himself who is at work in us by His Spirit. It is the power of God that is at work in us. God is far more engaged in our sanctification than we are. As Benton preached on a few weeks ago, God is bound and determined to sanctify us. God is so kind and loving and good to those who know Him, that He is far more ready to forgive you than you are ready to ask forgiveness. Do you ever think of that? You are more hesitant to ask forgiveness than God is hesitant to forgive you. God is ready and willing and loving and gracious to forgive you. You just have to ask for forgiveness. He is dying to forgive you. He did die, literally, to forgive you. And we hold back, we shrink back when we have this kind and loving God who is so much more willing to forgive us than we are to even ask for forgiveness. He's working in you more than you are working in yourself. And we forget that. On a Sunday morning in May 2009, John Piper stood up to preach and he said on that morning, the Holy Spirit is at work in believers. They are changing But I've been a Christian since I was six, and I am 63. I am not that optimistic about finishing without sin. He says, I hope I'm not setting my sights too low. I just love grace more, a lot more. And he said a little later, I am amazed when I wake up in the morning that I am still a Christian. And I realize the fact that I awake in the morning and I'm still a Christian entirely due to the preserving grace of God. God has preserved me. It's it's the flesh is going to be there. We are going to stumble. We are going to shrink back. But God's grace for those who know his forgiveness far outweighs our weakness. God is far more willing and ready to forgive than we are to ask for forgiveness. God is at work in us and is more concerned with our sanctification than we are even in ourselves. And this is the encouragement. This is what it means to be kept by God. The God of peace is at work to complete our sanctification, to keep us blameless, to be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will preserve us for that day. And this is where we can just think about the power that is at work in us. It's not just any power. It's God's power. It's preserving power. We can go to Romans 8:11. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit that we have is the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that's in us. It's the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead that we have in ourselves. Do you ever, very little time do I ever spend stopping and thinking about that. What kind of power is in me? Just the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Right, that's all. Just that power, just that resurrection power is in me. What do I have to do? Well, all I have to do is try and forgive a neighbor. All I have to do is try and be kind to somebody. All I have to do is try and do good work today. You know, I have resurrection power in me, and, and I'm struggling just to forgive a neighbor, right? But that power is there for me. That's the power that's at work for me. And so the encouragement here is that that's the power, that same power is at work in you to bring us complete before God in the end. Philippians 1.6, Paul says the same thing. 
He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I'm sure of this. If Christ has begun in you, he's going to bring it to completion. What power is at work in us? What preserving power is the power of God himself at work in us? And so what do we draw from that? And some people would hear that and they would say, well, since God is at work in us in our sanctification, then we don't need to worry about it. There's nothing we need to do. But that's not the conclusion that Paul ever draws. Our response to this news and to this reality should be that if God is this committed to us, then we will commit to him. It's meant to encourage us, just as Elijah was encouraged by God's care for him, if God himself is visiting us, is speaking to us, is sanctifying us, if has his resurrection power in us, in his spirit, then our response is to join him in that task. That is the response Paul is looking for. He's saying, if you have this power in you, if you are convinced of this truth that God is faithful, then you will join God in that task because God will not let up. He will not tire. He will not falter. He will not fail in pursuing your growing in grace and in Christ's likeness, in pursuing his purpose of redeeming your life and redeeming the people around you. And then one last thing, just quickly. God gives us this encouragement at the very end. And you see it finally in verse 24. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. He basically says, be encouraged because of this, because God is faithful. He's going to do it. And if you're here today and you feel like you're failing, you feel like you're losing in the fight of your faith, you, you hear what Paul is saying to you, then hear this, that if you're in the fight and you're feeling that way, you feel like you're losing then that's testimony to me that God is at work in your life. What would worry Paul, what would worry me, is that if his people were not in that fight, if not feeling like they were resisting the world and the flesh, not feeling like they needed more power from God, not not feeling like they needed this encouragement. But if you feel that you need this encouragement, that should be encouragement because that's God at work in you. And so we just lean into God that he is at work, that he is the one that's doing it. He is set on redeeming us. He is set on restoring us, just like Elijah. And he will do it. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has the power to do it. Now, perhaps you're here today and you don't know the power of the resurrected Christ and you don't have the peace of God. Well, there's a way to begin that process. There's a way to start this transformation. There's a a way to participate in the healing and the redeeming of your life, but it starts with laying down your own. If you're here today and you're saying... I've never felt that. I've never felt the peace of God in my life. I've never felt the presence or the power of God in my life. I don't have a purpose in my life. I feel like it's without any purpose. Then the starting point to that is to lay down your life to God and pick up his new life in Jesus. Right? We can have that resurrection power. You can have that God-given peace. You can have that God-ordained purpose in your life. And today is the day that you can reach out to God and say, I believe, help my unbelief. You can reach out to God and say, I am willing, but my spirit is weak. You can reach out to God and you say, I have sinned and I receive your forgiveness. And God will hear and answer. There will be no one on the last day who stood before God and said, God, I wanted to be forgiven, but you wouldn't do it. There will never be anyone who asked for forgiveness. There will never be anyone who laid down their rebellion, who cried out for mercy, and God did not respond. God says, if you call on my name, I will answer. But if today you feel you've never given yourself over to God, if you feel like you've stumbled and fallen from Him, then you can call out to Him and He will answer. Because God is faithful and He will do what He has said He will do. He cannot deny Himself. Let's pray.